Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 108. Today I will be talking about the murder of Carmela Knight, a mother of two from Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My sources for today's episode are Dateline, Season 31, Episode 7, titled Fire and Ice, The Cinemaholic, DurhamRegion.com, MyQuaratha.com, and NiagaraFallsReview.ca. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Mom called me. There's a fire at the house. There's a fire at the house. I just kept praying. Please let her be okay. It was classified as a homicide. Before she died, a mystery man popped up at the house, looking over the fence, looking in the backyard. There were some strange phone calls that were coming in. She was worried and scared. We decided to do an undercover operation. So I asked him, did you kill her? He was living a double life. On September 15th, 2014, the first 911 call came in at around 7.50 p.m. The caller was out walking his dog reported that there was a fire coming from the garage of a house owned by his neighbor, Carmela Knight. Carmela lived there with her husband, David, and their two sons. Several fire trucks were arriving onto the scene, but the fire was very large. Carmela's friend and neighbor, Anna, tried to contact her, but there was no answer. She then called Carmela's mom, Franca, in hopes that they were together. Franca said Anna called her and was screaming. Franca said she wasn't with Carmela, so she drove over to Carmela's house. She said when she got to the house, there was still a fire on top of the garage. Franca said she ran into the house but was stopped by first responders. Carmela's sister Nancy also arrived at the house, and Franca immediately knew that something had happened to her daughter. Nancy tried calling David to make sure the boys were okay, but David wasn't answering. practice and were okay. The police notified Nancy and Franca that they had found a body. David arrived at the police station and left the boys with their grandfather. The police told David that they had found a body and it could have been Carmela. His response was, quote, it can't be, end quote. The body was very charred, but the forensic pathologist was able to identify the body as being Carmela's through dental records. Carmela also had a tourniquet and syringe in her arm. The day after the fire, the police had to notify Franca about her daughter's death. They only said her cause of death was unknown. The police did mention that Carmela could have overdosed on drugs, but her family said there was no way. A few days later, Carmela's cause of death was ruled as a homicide. Carmela had died before the fire and had died of blunt force trauma. She had neck compression and facial injuries. The toxicology report confirmed that there were no drugs in her system, so it was clear it had been staged. David, being the husband, was looked into as a person of interest. He worked in construction... He and Carmela owned their house in Canada and one in Indian Rocks Beach, Florida. David said he and his kids had left the house at 3.30 on the day of the fire, went to get something to eat at McDonald's, and went to hockey practice. He said they had practice from 6.30 till 8, and many witnesses and videoed surveillance placed David at the hockey rink. During his interrogation, David told the police that he and Carmela were sleeping in separate bedrooms and were going to end their marriage after 15 years. The police believed that David was emotional when he learned that Carmela was dead. Everyone had amazing things to say about Carmela. Carmela had always wanted a family since her college days and had met David at a club. It seemed like David had started to love bomb her right away. After their first meeting, he sent her flowers, according to one of Carmela's friends. They got married and had two sons. 
Everyone close to her said they could see the joy in her eyes when she had her kids, and the boys were three years apart. The police learned from the home security system that the doors had been tripped. Someone had entered the house after David and the kids left for hockey practice. David had left at 3.30 p.m., and Carmela came home around 5 p.m. Franca said that Carmela had told her that she was in the backyard one day and a man got out of a black SUV. She said that the man looked into the backyard over the fence and asked for David. David had taken the kids to go dirt biking at the time. Carmela had asked David about it, but he said it was nothing. He put an alarm on the house that night. Carmela's sister-in-law, Heather Knight, contacted the police. Heather was married to David's brother, Matt. Heather told the police she was suspicious about her husband and that he had left Canada two days after the murder. According to Heather, Matt said he knew what had happened and who had done this. He also told her that he could have stopped it. Heather said that on the night of the fire, Matt left, and she received a phone call from David. Heather thought that Matt had left to be with his brother, but they weren't together. She learned that Matt was with a man named Graham McDonald. Graham and Matt used to work together, and Graham and David were friends. David had hired Graham to fix things around the house. The police eventually tracked Matt down in Florida, but Matt refused to speak with them and said Heather was a liar. He said he was never going to return to Canada. Matt also had an alibi for the day of the fire and was with his wife. Graham was asked to go to the station for an interview. He said he had went to his grandmother's house, but she wasn't home. He also said he took the train from Toronto back to Pickering, but Graham's alibi fell apart quickly as he wasn't on surveillance footage at his grandmother's apartment or on the train. One theory that came up was that Graham had become obsessed with Carmela after he started working on their house. However, that theory didn't seem to pan out. Graham was interviewed again. He claimed he was in Toronto but had been smoking crack so his memory was fuzzy. Graham became upset by the questions and tried to end the interview. The story was just not adding up and Carmela's family continued to call the police for answers. Graham eventually told the police that he was with David on the day of the murder. David had always maintained that he was at the hockey rink with his sons. But the police took another look at David. David and the boys never attended Carmela's funeral. David wouldn't let them attend. Franca was surprised. Franca wasn't surprised and said that the divorce proceedings had gotten ugly. David had spread lies about Carmela to the hockey parents. He said she had been cheating, drank, and did drugs. But no one ever believed David's stories. Carmela had suspected that David was cheating on her. He would travel a lot, come home late from work, and not wear his wedding ring. About a year and a half before the murder, Carmela found proof that David was cheating on her. She found a thumb drive in David's car full of photos. There were naked photos of a woman, and one of them had the woman and David in it together with her kissing him on the cheek. David eventually admitted to having a girlfriend in Florida. He had promised Carmela he would end it and go to counseling with her, but David never ended the affair. Carmela decided she didn't want to be with David anymore. The police tried to speak to David, but he refused to speak to them and lawyered up. The police spoke to David's girlfriend in Florida. She said she was under the impression that David had been divorced for six years. David's plan had been to move to Florida permanently and start a construction business there. David wasn't paying their mortgage or helping Carmela at all with their house in Canada. Carmela had filed an emergency motion for custody of the boys. The hearing was supposed to take place three days after the murder. David had also taken three life insurance policies on Carmela, totaling $800,000. It seemed like he needed the money and found a way to get the money quickly. The police obtained a court order to tap David's phone. David's passport had been seized, but David had contacted a government agency that issues passports. 
He had claimed that his, his gym bag had been stolen and they gave him a new passport. He was about to flee to Florida. But the police were able to hear David's plans for Florida. He was going to build a house, enroll his sons in school, and he had plans to fly on a private jet to Florida. David had wired $15,000 for the private jet and had planned to leave the next day. The police knew of his plans, so they planned to confiscate David's passport before he'd get on the jet. The police were able to confiscate it, and David was spooked. David was released from the police station, but the police knew, and he knew that the police were investigating him. The police also learned that the man in the black SUV was David's ex-business partner, who said that David had stolen money from him. The man had meant to confront David, not to scare Carmela. The police knew that Graham, David, and Matt were their prime suspects. They decided to do an undercover operation with Graham as their target. An undercover officer had befriended Graham. Graham told him that the police were looking into him for the murder. Another undercover officer was hired as Uncle Dan, someone who had a history of helping people who were in trouble. The undercover officer and Graham had a meeting in an ice fishing hut. Graham admitted that he couldn't tell him that he had nothing to do with Carmela's murder. Graham had nodded when he was asked if he killed Carmela. The meeting ended, but Uncle Dan invited Graham for a second meeting a week later. Uncle Dan said he could help him with this situation. He said he had a friend who was dying of cancer who was willing to take the rap for him. But the friend had two sons and needed two $10,000 trusts set up for each. An undercover officer was brought in to play the dying friend. Makeup had been used to disguise this officer. Graham told the police everything. He said David had hired him to kill Carmela. Graham said David had filled gas cans for the fire on the day of the murder. He said David had taken him to the house, that he waited in the bathroom for Carmela to come home, and Graham ambushed her in the garage. He strangled her and tried to stage the scene by making it look like Carmela had overdosed. Graham then dragged Carmela back into the garage after a fight ensued, and he set the fire. David had promised Graham money and a life in Florida. The police found surveillance footage of David filling up the gas cans at the gas station, and Graham was in the car with him. Graham also said they had bought burner phones. In the hockey rink surveillance footage, David could be seen talking on a phone. The phone records proved that it was the time right after Carmela was murdered. Graham had never been paid, so the undercover cops followed Graham to a bar where David frequented. Graham paid David a visit. Graham unknowingly had a recording device on him, and an undercover officers were standing nearby. David seemed very shocked by the confrontation. Graham told David everything about Uncle Dan and the dying man. David and Graham made a plan to meet a few days later. David paid Graham 5000 of the $10,000, and this was about six months after the murder. Graham, Matt, and David were all arrested. David's trial lasted for four months, and he was convicted of first-degree murder, arson, and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Graham was convicted of the same crimes, and they were sentenced to life with parole after 25 years. Matt was convicted of being an accessory and only served a year in prison. Carmela seemed like such a loving mother and wife, but David cheated on her and got caught. Carmela knew what she deserved and wanted to leave him. Instead of getting a divorce, David was able to get two other men to help him kill someone that he once loved. Graham and Matt were awful people, but David is clearly the mastermind. He claimed also to care about his kids, but obviously it doesn't seem like that when they took their mother away from him. He also won't be able to watch his kids grow up, and they will have to hear about how their dad killed their mom.
Support for the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over, join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and oh man, it is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawn Mower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents stink. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight you need a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes this Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. My husband loves the boxers, and I have ended up stealing the travel bag to use for extra storage. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CRIMEOCLOCK. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. for this week is The Revenge List by Hannah Mary McKinnon. They say life flashes before your eyes when you're about to die, but all she could see was regret. The people in Frankie Morgan's life say she's angry, emotionally stunted, combative, but really who can blame her? It's hard being nice when your clients are insufferable, your next door neighbor is a miserable woman, and the cowardly driver who killed your mother is still living it up somewhere. Somehow, though, she finds herself at a very at her very first anger management group session, drinking terrible coffee and learning all about how forgiveness is a process. One that starts with a list. Frankie is skeptical, a list of everyone who's wronged her in some way over the years. More paper, please. Still, she makes the pointless list with her own name in a prominent spot and promptly forgets about it until it goes missing. And one by one, the people she's named start getting hurt in freak accidents even deadlier than the last. Could it be coincidence giving her the revenge she never dared to seek or something more sinister? If Frankie doesn't find out who's behind it all, she might be next. Revenge seems to be the theme for this week's episode. A man had his wife killed because she was filing for divorce and ready to move on. This main character, Frankie, wants revenge on people who have wronged her. She has anger issues, but would she really hurt someone? Someone in her life knows about her list and seemingly is willing to help her get revenge on those who have wronged her. I give this book a 9 out of 10. Thank you so much for listening today to today's episode. I'd love to know what you think. 
Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. For 20% off plus free shipping, use code CRIMEOCLOCK. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimeoclocksomewhere at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and please leave me a five-star rating and review if you're enjoying this podcast. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation, and remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.